Now, if it's from Sonic, I want light ice, but sure. I I took some Sonic drinks. Wait, hang on. You like light ice in your water from Sonic? Easy ice. Yeah, I want more drink, less ice. Okay. Uh, well, I true. I remember asking you about this and you were like, oh, well, it's water. So it's okay if there's ice in it. It's okay if it, wa- if it melts, it doesn't water it, it down. You can't water down water. But... I would I drink it fast enough that I would prefer less ice so there's more for me okay. to drink. Well, now I know how to properly order you a Blackberry Sonic water now. Oh, yeah. I always order it Easy Ice. I get yours with Easy Ice, too. This is Be Createful, a podcast about how we find fullness through creativity. I'm Joe, And I'm Madison. And today on episode 57, we're going to be talking about trash versus treasure. And we have a special guest with us today. You can decide if she's trash or treasure. There's only one right answer. <laughs> so go awesome. ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Denise. Happy to be here. I'm also known as Quilt Mentor Denise. Yes. So. Okay, and my, so my quilting mentor. So you've you have heard of the woman, the legend before on the podcast, but now she's actually here. Woo-hoo. We're so excited to have you here. We actually recorded a podcast like a year ago or something, uh, but no, it was in the fall. Yeah, I like last yeah. two falls, whatever. Not this past fall, but the fall before. Um, mm-hmm. We recorded an episode, but it has never been edited or released. We it's probably okay. need to redo it because I think I've learned a lot too. So maybe I would be like less awkward, you know, in trying to lead us through a conversation. Well, I just kept thinking of all the things I should have said differently afterwards. Yeah, so we'll do it again and we will forget <laughs> the things we should have said differently and we'll just have a new one. Anyway, it was about me and Denise. Our yeah. relationship it might not quilting. be quite so fun for your listeners, <laughs> but it was fun to do. So, okay. So trash or treasure. And Denise is here with us for a very specific reason, because it's because of Denise we're having this conversation. Hmm. So Denise sent me a video. I'll let you decide how much you want to talk about it. The title was Quilt Clothes Must Die. And she texted it to me and I was like, what is this? So I watched all 20 minutes of it. And then I was like, we're going to talk about this on the podcast. Um, So Denise, you want to fill us in briefly on the podcast, knowing there will be a lot of people who don't care about quilt clothes. (laughs) Right. So it was just in my Instagram feed, you know, when it's like, oh, you might be interested in this. And I clicked on it and it was by a, um, not a trendsetter, but kind of a guru of quilting. Her name is Mary Fawns. Her mom was Fawns of Fawns and Porter, which is like old school quilt gurus. They put out fabric lines and magazines and all this stuff. Anyway, she um, was very passionate about designers and quilters and sewists making clothing out of old quilts. Um, And she said it needed to stop because we are destroying vintage quilts and ruining history by using said quilts to make clothing that we wear for a season as a trend. And then what do we do with it after that? Yeah. She was very passionate, quite angry, like had some angry language. 
Mm-hmm. She had some far-fetched, she really stretched some of the reasons why. Um, and we won't go into too many of those now, but I brought this up to Madison and then you had a similar situation that does not involve quilts. Yes. So in my uh, art class, I always like to talk about some it, some typical canon artists like Van Gogh, Picasso, people like that. But I also like to interview, introduce different um, artists that maybe they haven't heard about. And one that revolutionized the comic book world was Jack Kirby. And part of my lesson was going to be taking older comic books, cutting them up and using them in collage because a lot of his own comic book work um, was collage. He would cut up old magazines to use as backgrounds for these like crazy, like psychedelic backgrounds. So I wanted to kind of do the reverse of that and have them cut up old comic books to then put in their own backgrounds so they could use characters that they were familiar with and they loved. Um, and so I was so excited about this. I told my dad and I told Richard, both of, a, uh, both of those people love comic books. And my dad was on board for it. But Richard was like, what? You're going to cut up old comic books? Now, and did that, su- that response surprise you? Yes, because, well, I tried to preface it with, I'm going to be using comic books that more recently have come out. There are comic books out there that are worth lots of money. I'm not interested in cutting up those. I'm interested in cutting cutting up ones that people recently do not want to use. Also, it's not in McDo's budget for you to buy comic books that cost lots of money. Yeah, no. <laughs> um but even so, like, I don't want to cut up anything that was, like, made up on newspaper. Um, the comic books now are kind of made on magazine paper. Um, mm. So I, t- I explained this to him, and he still was like, well, what if down the road other people want to use them? And I was just kind of shocked because there's tons of issues out there of this same comic book. Why is someone going to miss, you know, a few issues that I'm going to be using for my students to practice their creativity with. It was just so odd to me. Yeah. So because the situation with um, the quilt clothes and this idea of comic books are kind of the same issue, like you're taking like there it's in abundance and eventually it is going to end up in a landfill if we don't do something else with it. So taking the comic books or old quilts that you get at a flea market or an estate sale or that have been in your own attic for years and years, taking those and repurposing them into something else that is giving you use now. And in both instances, whether it is Madison's husband, Richard, or Mary Fawn's quilt guru, people get indignant about it, like angry about it for, and like why? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So like we see the, the trash, which I'm calling, it doesn't mean it's like currently in a trash bag, just what could potentially be unusable. We're looking at something that's lost its usefulness Yes, in the eyes of whoever deems it unuseful, who's trying to turn it into something that they deem to be useful. Yes. Compared with someone who says, no, that's not unuseful. It is serving its use by being like, His the history saving it for posterity. Yeah, Uh, we're using it for historical or educational purposes. 
Yeah. So I thought it would be helpful if maybe we think of, if you can off the top of your head, like some other things that would fall into this realm. So like I um, was collecting vintage Pyrex for a while. And if you aren't familiar with vintage Pyrex, just Google it and you're going to see like the most beautiful like colors from the 50s and 60s and patterns. And um, and you probably have seen some of this stuff and maybe not realized what it was. But I was like, could not get enough vintage Pyrex. But then you would see people who would take a very sought after pattern of vintage Pyrex and turn it into drill a hole in the bottom and turn it into a lamp, like a light fixture, like a pendant light. And I remember thinking there aren't, these are not being produced now. They are in limited supply and someone has just ruined it. But then now within this conversation, I think, well, did they ruin it or did they take something that they weren't using as a bowl and then now they've like turned it into a light fixture. And so they are now still getting use of this thing that they also think is really beautiful. So that's one example would be the Pyrex light fixtures. Yeah. Denise, can you think of anything uh, that comes to mind? I was thinking about um, using old books to make wreaths and to make um, 3D art. Yeah. And to I've done both those things. Now, would I use a first edition anything? No. One, I couldn't afford it. Two, um, I know enough to go, oh, I probably shouldn't cut that up or drill a hole in it or shape it into the letter K for my last name. I don't need to do those things. Yeah. But and a Reader's Digest that has four, uh, you know, not great stories in them that have been in the garage for 20 years. Yeah. Use the papers. It's fine. So, yeah, that's another thing. I had to think about this too when I was uh, decorating for my wedding. All of my, my wedding was like library book themed. And um, <laughs> so I like, get married again. Yeah, I know. Right. Our save the dates were like the library date cards that they used to put in the little pockets. It was oh, cute. Yeah. Our invitation was a book. It was awesome. My, my parents helped me come up with it. Shout out to y'all. Y'all are great. Um, so we used books as centerpieces and I was doing things like cutting holes in them, gluing moss to them um, and things like that. And I thought occasionally like, oh, what if this is something that someone would want? And there's even some books that I bought expressly for the purpose of using as a centerpiece that I did minimal things to so that then I could return them into Undo a it. book. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a this is a little tangent, but I had a assignment in school where I had to annotate a book where you write in it. It felt wrong. Mm. It was mm. weird. But like most of these stories that I was annotating, there's a bajillion copies of Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. There's tons of copies of these children's books and other books that I was using. So did I give them new life? I mean, some of them are still in my house as decorations, but there's still a little part of me that felt wrong in Right. Damaging those books. Yeah. A couple more. So I told y'all to think of them off the top of your head, but I have some written down. Um, painting furniture, like painting uh -huh. old Ooh. furniture. Do not get me started. <laughs> I've been looking for like cute side tables and like little end tables and things. And I go to an antique or like flea market or whatever. And there's tons of furniture that is chalk painted. If that is your jam, great. 
but your girl here loves grandma chic. So these beautiful like dark wood furniture is then painted over with like a pastel matte chalky whatever with like a rose applique. And I'm like, no, I could have used that. And now you want to charge me, you know, like upwards of, you know, $300 more than I would have paid for it. To pay for their time to do it. Which as a creator, I understand. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, you made that ugly. And you have made it so that this thing is now trendy and it is not, I mean, it, it's not classic anymore. So I'm, I'm glad we struck this chord with you because you are actually on the Mary Fawns Richard side of the argument when it comes to painting furniture. Yes. I Now, I have painted furniture in the past. We have wooden chairs at Make Do that are painted all different shades of blue, but they were like mismatched chairs too it's not like I took a whole mid-century dining set and painted it yeah but now I do you like the kind of the older stuff than me but I I love the mid-century modern furniture and um it it does break my heart a little when I see someone has painted a piece that like would have that I would want without it being painted there's just some craftsmanship that you just oh that you just like go over with like some tacky paint. I just. No, you can refurbish. You can fix it. You can't. I have seen videos of that and it's given me hope. But like when, because on different things, I'm on different sides of the issue. So like with furniture yeah. and, and with vintage clothes, um, within the vintage clothing community, there's also huh. this question of if you own a vintage piece, are you allowed, quote, If you own it, are you allowed to then alter it to your size? Or should you keep it in its original state? To what end? Um, To keep it as, you know, like a, to learn from their historical sewing techniques. But how do you learn from their sewing techniques if you don't take the garment apart? You don't, you don't have to. There's tons of YouTube videos that show you they peel back these, they open up these Edwardian beautiful dresses and you can see all of their stitch work and how everything came put together. Um, and there's all groups of, pe- there's groups of people that say you, sh- if you buy some vintage or I should say antique, if you buy antique clothing, you should not be cutting it up because we need to save that for historical, educational, whatever purposes. But as someone who likes to wear these pieces, that's not always an option. Like sometimes you end up with a piece that's large or too small and you want to be able to continue to wear these pieces and use them for what they were intended for. Yeah. So. mm. And I guess my question from that, when it comes to the preservation of history, now everything is digital. Like we can preserve history digitally. And what are we going to do? Have like a, antique clothing museum in every county so that everyone has access <laughs> to the history. Yeah. Um, that is something that you have to consider that um, up to a certain point, like, you know, when I'm talking about Edwardian clothing or Victorian clothing, that stuff was that's mass- not the stuff you're altering. Well, here's the thing. Some of that Did stuff... Did you buy an Edwardian dress you're going to alter? Look, I've been looking. I've been looking, all right? It's actually quite affordable. You'd really? be surprised. Yes. Some of the some of the 1950s dresses that are up for sale can be as pricey as some of the the Edwardian Victorian items. Give us a, t- a mean, year for that. Oh, okay. So like um 
so if you think about uh, Downton Abbey, that was set like turn of the century, like like 1910s. And that's going into some of the more Edwardian period. Before then, Victorian is Queen Victoria. So you're talking about like the 1800s. I'd be scared to cut into anything just like, I'd be afraid it would disintegrate. Like I wouldn't want to wear it. Oh, you could own a Victorian piece of clothing for like $200. Easy. Just like, like it's that cheap. Because even during that time, some of those clothes, I'm sorry, I'm getting really into this, but. That's right. You get one more, you get one more thought. I get one more thought. (laughs) Even back then, some of these clothing were, some of these clothes were mass produced. Mm. Uh. Today, it is even more so that we have clothing that is mass produced. Like fast fashion is a is a big thing. Um, so, um, even though we may think that those things are such a rarity, they're not, you can buy them for a reasonable price online. And, you know, you may think, well, these should be ended up in museums. The pieces that are already in museums, like the pieces that we want to preserve, they're already in museums. I think that is, was the point I was wanting to get to, like how much. The, all the worth gowns, they're already in the, you know. Like how much can we save for posterity? And for history, because another example I have is like old houses, you know, tearing down old buildings or old houses um, versus preserving them. And then you still have to redo the whole inside so that the there's plumbing and the house doesn't blow up. So like I live in a, a neighborhood that has a historic house near it. And I just think, you know, at what end when you're talking about why are we saving old things and sustainability, like a lot of times it's not more sustainable to save the old house because it has no, you know, it's not energy efficient. It doesn't have what it needs to, to operate in like the modern world. So is it actually more sustainable to tear it down and build new? Or are we saving it just for the historical significance? And then mm-hmm. who... I know there's a registry that decides what is historical, mm-hmm. but, but what, how much should a community like leave room for that versus starting over? And, you know, we coming from spending time in Ireland. So Denise and I lived in Ireland where things are like so old and yeah. it's, it's just fascinating how the cities have built around. Now we're talking about like urban development and historical preservation or whatever. I know that's a different topic, but Anyway, right. that was an example that I had thought of. Another one was vinyl records. Like all of the crafts. I mean, I just remember people doing things with like old vinyl. And then now vinyl is back. So those old records actually have a, their original purpose again. But they've been like broken in half and hot glued to the ceiling and stuff. Right. We have um, probably half a dozen or more big old 33s normally country or bluegrass records in the basement of the house we live in with my grandmother. They were my grandfather's and um, yeah, they're not warped and I guess they would play, but we just have them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And they're dusty and no one looks at them. Right. So I think that that gets us to the question that's maybe at the crux of the conversation is the value. So Where is the value and who gets to decide? So is the value, does it belong to the original creator? So like, let's say we're talking about a quilt that someone made a hundred years ago. 
do they, does that person determine the value? Is it the thing that holds the value, like the quilt? Or is it the potential that the, what that thing could become? Does that make sense? I don't know if yes. I explained that well. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a great way to put it. Um, I think I already have an answer for this. Answer. Tell us. I think that the value lies with the people, not the thing. Um, okay. So then the, the battle, <laughs> the dilemma would be, is it, do we give the value does the, to the original cre- creator or the current person that would create it into something else? Yeah. Um, that's part of what I wrote down is trying to fight that balance between who do we respect? Do we respect the creator, the people who are currently using it, the people who previously used it, but have now passed on in this life. And we are now left with the thing that they used. How do we balance all of those different, different things? And that I think is the tricky part. And then does it change depending on if it was mass produced or created, you know, like a lot of the quilts, that's the issue, right? Is they're handmade a lot of times, not even with the machine, like, hand pieced so then do we have this discussion differently when it involves a hand pieced quilt versus a mass produced piece of furniture I think it does change because we it talks about limited uh, like a limited quantity right Mm -hmm. um in our in economics you talk about how if something has a limited quantity then it's going to have a higher value do you know what that's called no, I, I, I don't. Supply and demand. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See, she's got the business degree, so. That's right. She knows all those fancy words. Um, yes. Also a daddy who would draw graphs and talk about opportunity cost and supply and demand for everything. Man, you were destined to run something. <laughs> like, it was just going to happen. For sure. Yes. <laughs> I think for these questions, what it boils down for me is context and due diligence. So I get asked fairly often, hey, I have this quilt that belonged to my whoever. And do you think it's salvageable or can you repair it? Mm. Or, And I'm happy to look at those things, but I'm also cautious about saying one way or the other if I could fix it or not. Have or you if done it's worth... any quilt salvaging? Yes. Um there was a friend who had a sunbonnet suit that her mother-in-law had made and when she was much younger and some of the feet were flapping and some <laughs> of the hands were flapping. So I, I just did um, like a stitch around those to, you know, keep them and then um, was able to quilt it for her. And, like the background fabric was really thin and I just thought oh I hope this doesn't tear you know and then I ruined it and you would have thought that I had laid a golden egg for this woman when she received it back yeah and then it's something for her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren but do they use it or it's like I mean that's the question because when you're talking about especially perishable stuff like this versus something like furniture um the material is not that great a lot of times and it is right. indeed threadbare. And so even if you fix it, it's never going to have its purpose again as being able to be used like on a bed that gets used a lot or as a quilt, you know, they do kind of lose their purpose. Yes. I have 
uh, quilt. My grandma was like, oh, I think there's a quilt up there that your great, great grandmother did. And I was like, where, hello, where has this been? <laughs> and um, so there are parts of it that, you know, have holes or whatever. And I just put it on my quilt ladder and yeah. look at it. I, I mean, we're not going to use that quilt. In fact, one time our son was using that quilt um, with a bunch of guys that they'd come over and spent the weekend and I came downstairs and he had that quilt on him in the bed. And I said, that is not for you. <laughs> that is a but, visual quilt only. You should know better. You're the son of a quilter. That's right. And it's like the guest towel in the guest bathroom. We're not using that. Yeah, that's no. right. I love that. Do you think that that quilt that your great, great, however many grandmother made holds more value to you because you also are a quilter? Possibly, yeah. I have an, I have another quilt, a wedding ring quilt that um, a, a woman at church who was a quilter at the church I grew up at, and she had pieced the arcs for it from her um, like aprons and dresses and her, her husband's shirts. And so, but she never turned it into a quilt. So she gifted those to me, and then I had to figure out, oh, I don't have the pattern mm. to connect all these and. Um, but yeah, that's on the quilt thing, but it's special because they came from her, you know, mostly. And, um, so sentimental wise, yes, to me. Yeah. So that's what, when you were saying before it comes down to context, Yeah, that is part of it. An argument I have seen in the reverse is someone who has like a quilt that their great great grandmother made that was ratty and had holes in it and could no longer serve a purpose and so then they turned that into a quilt coat and now they use it you know now it's been reinforced and her work is carrying on in a different form it's no longer a quilt but now it gets used you know every day in the winter instead of being on a quilt ladder and that wouldn't have served the same purpose for her continuing on with this idea of context um when i was doing some research on this because i tried to watch the video on the quilt clothes and it has been taken down yeah um i don't think because it's it's so spicy i think it's because there was like a copyright or whatever um so I tried to watch it. So I, I was starting to dive into some of the other videos that this person had put out. And um, cottage core, which is a aesthetic and a style of clothing that has come out since the pandemic, um, it really focuses on things that are at home, things that are old, things that make you feel comfortable. And that's what's really drawn out this trend of like, quilt coats and puffy sleeved dresses and walking through the meadow and making your own bread (laughs) walking through the meadow (laughs) like it's all of these like aesthetic dreams that you have of like wouldn't it be great if I just sold all of my belongings and lived in a cottage but then you realize that if you actually did that that like you'd want the plumbing yeah it's a lot of hard work Mm -hmm. with the cottage core comes the outhouse right well Well, you can go to the outhouse as you're walking through the meadow there you go um (laughs) so because it's a trend and we like to capitalize on those things, a lot of sewing influencers and um, just Instagrammers, creators in general, started to make these qu- these quilt coats or these quilted items from, you know, thrift shops and things like that. Um, well, and that the video is in response to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the context for that is different 
than someone turning their grandmother's coat into something that they're going to wear every day. Because I can guarantee you there's probably at least like a hundred influencers who made those things who that's not their style. It's a trend that's going to leave very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that quilt will end up in the same place, a landfill, Mm -hmm. which then makes you think, well, if it was going to end up in the same place to begin with, it just got there faster because it got turned into a coat. Should we even really care if someone used that quilt to make themselves a little cash? I don't know. Right. Because like, Mm. it's not like someone's going to swoop in and save that piece of furniture or quilt and they're going to whisk it off into a museum like Indiana Jones. It was going to end up trashed somewhere anyways. Right, because who's going around like collecting all of the old tossed out vintage quilts that are in thrift thrift stores or estate sales like they are still just sitting there yeah although this is something that I used to struggle with when I would see a 1950s vintage piece in a Goodwill even if it's in terrible shape I would buy it because I was like I need to save it someone's going to turn this into a terrible costume for Halloween and I just can't imagine that but it's taking up space in my house it's still not getting used like wouldn't it be better served to be someone's cool Halloween costume than me keeping it from someone just for the sake of I can't bear the thought of this happening to this piece of clothing? Like it has feelings. Yes. That, okay. So that leads us into maybe the next, because I think we have opinions that differ depending on what we're talking about. So we oh, could just keep, absolutely. Yeah. So we could keep going around here, but I want to maybe move it along by asking As creators who make things, clothes, quilts, whatever it is that we're creating, when I make something and I give it to somebody, what are my expectations for them with that thing? Like, why did I make it and give it to them? Because I love them. And this is how, this is a way that I can like share part of myself. So in doing so, in giving it to them, do I have like expectations for how they're going to use that thing? Would I be sad if in 50 years someone cut up a quilt that I made and turned it into a coat personally? So wait, does that mean your, your gift would have strings attached if you had expectations of how they would use it? It would. And are we assuming, are we assigning those same expectations to like people in the past who made things? Because I think if we're just talking practically that all of these women who were making quilts in the great depression out of the fabric that they had at hand would not have two cares in the world about someone turning that thing into a coat. That's what they were doing. They were repurposing everything. And so I do like, I'm not using the word upcycle for a reason because we're not necessarily upcycle uh, makes it seem like you're adding value. And I don't think cutting up an old quilt and turning it into a coat adds value. I think it repurposes it. Um, And I mean, that was their whole life. That was their whole creative life was figuring out how to repurpose because the material was limited. Yeah. Waste not, want not mentality. And practically they had to right right i mean like we're all bougie and we're buying new fabric then we're cutting it up then Mm -hmm. we're throwing it back together yeah 
not, oh, I have to save this shirt, even though, you know, it's got a huge stain and a tear in it. But part of it I can use to, you know, make a quilt to keep us warm. Yeah. And I've seen like. And also they were using their own hair as batting. What? Uh, what? What? People would. Where did I hear about this? Denise, I thought you for sure would know. <laughs> Someone was talking about they cleaned out their like great great their great grandma's house or something, and they opened the bottom drawer and it was <gasps> just full of her hair. hair. Like a lot of old quilts have hair as the batting, <laughs> the layer what? inside to keep you warm. Are you telling me that I could have been using the hair that's now wrapped around my vacuum cleaner brush for yeah. better things <laughs> to stuff animals? I mean, not like taxidermy, <laughs> like <laughs> like or I don't know. <laughs> I guess like stuffed animals or yeah, for quilts or pillows. Oh man. Start saving it. If you listened last week, you know, my hair is falling out. So maybe I should put it to better use. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. So the question was the things that you make, what are your expectations? Okay. Gotcha. I always, if I give a quilt to someone, especially like I make a lot of baby quilts and I say, this is meant to be used. Wash, dry it, throw it on the floor, let spit up, get on it. It's Don't hang it up on the wall. You know, they. Sh- I want them to be able to drag that thing around and it be their special lovey. So I always try to insist on that in, in when I'm giving it to them. So it does come with string attached, but in a, it's okay. I don't think this is precious. It is you know, nice and I like it and I'm proud of it and I want to give it to you, but like, it's not museum quality. I want you to use it as it's intended. Right. <sighs> it's a lot <laughs> to think about. Um, Cause when I was, you, we discussed this question earlier and I was sitting on it and my first reaction was, Oh yeah, of course. Like whatever I make, I want like my, you know, my kids and the generations after to cut up and use whatever I make. Um, But then I sat with it and I thought, "Mm, that's not necessarily true Mm. because I make a lot of my own clothes and I put so much time and effort into it. I would want someone else to look at it and appreciate it. But if I'm dead and gone, what do I care? Right? Yeah. Like I'm not there to, you know, really, you know, be mad about it. If someone's like, Oh, Grandma Madison has all of these clothes from when she was younger. Do you, any, any of y'all want them? No. Nope. All right. In the garbage. But I think that's part of the reality of being a creator is understanding that your work may not stand the test of time, especially if you work in a medium that's as fragile as paint or fabric or paper. Well, and at the whim of trends. Absolutely. Mm. But I think the opposite side of that, you're saying, I'm gone. What do I care? But sometimes I think we attach value to the thing because the person who made it is gone. But I don't want my kids to keep something because just because I'm gone. Right. If you're going to hold on to something of mine, be it something that is useful to you. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you want my sewing machine, keep that. Don't keep my But I think there dress. can be a lot of guilt in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of my family members end up giving me old items that they don't want because they know that I might have a use for it. Mm. I end up with a lot of old clothes or um, other things. Um, And for a while, I kept a ton of it because I felt like I was like the family historian and the Mm. keeper of Mm. these old things. 
But the more I thought about it, the more that those people, you know, my great grandmother and others wouldn't want me to be bogged down with their old stuff, especially their old unfinished things that are just taking up space in my house. So I've, my mentality for this is just paring down to what's really important to you and not letting that guilt and emotions get in the way. That's what all the like hoarder shows will tell you. Like, you know, for hoarders and like organization and stuff, a lot of people are just hanging on to so much that's old because it's sentimental, but it's not, they're not holding on to it in a way that actually lets them enjoy it. So, yes. Madison, surprise, this is an intervention. Oh, <gasps> I knew it. Uh, I'm, I'm strapped in by all of these cords. I can't leave. Dagnabbit. Um, yeah, it's. What we're getting to here is I think it's this conversation is a lot less logical and a lot more emotional. Well, and you hear that in, so we can't tag the video because it doesn't exist anymore. But if you type into Google quilt clothes, I did type in quilt clothes and must die was the, what (laughs) the autofill for Google. So you will be able to find the and y'all, there has been much drama that has ensued. So if oh. you want to look into like some drama in the quilt world, go to Google. Madison found a Reddit thread that was oh, all about, all about this. this particular video. It's called Craft Snark. It's great. Um, oh. But now I forgot what I was saying about that. So we were talking about how this is an emotional conversation. Oh, that, yes, 100%. Her original video is emotional. People's response is emotional a lot of the pushback has been in terms of the idea of gatekeeping that um and this was one thing that I wanted to to talk about today like who gets to decide so she I mean she comes in a she's in a lineage of quilt like important people in the quilting community and so she obviously is going to see it one way but then hearing other people's response um say wait a minute you're thinking of this as a middle-aged white woman (laughs) and here's what quilting means to some of the others of us in this community um and so that is all very emotional and doesn't leave any room for the nuance of the conversation Mm -hmm. um so every culture quilting culture comic book culture um vintage furniture yes (laughs) restoration culture there are gatekeepers to all of those cultures that says who can participate in the subculture and who can't right so and part of what we're trying to do at make do is make creativity accessible and that means you kind of have to break open the subculture Mm -hmm. um if you're going to experience like those kind of things um It's interesting that we're talking about it in the context of subculture because part of having a subculture generally means that there are parameters and rules for you to be a part of it. Right. If you're going to be a quilter that, you know, you have to piece quilts. You have, I mean, there's certain things that are required of you to be a part of that and have uh, a discussion. I think the problem lies when someone new or someone who is not like you comes in and has a different opinion and Mm -hmm. you are the one that's then deciding for the entirety of your subculture this is how we're going to do things. And that's what's not fair. To give her some grace, because I did, I started to watch her like two hour Twitch stream <laughs> about yes. all of this. 
what hit me, because I didn't get to the spicy part yet. What hit me was she was talking about how she got into quilting. And she got she got into it because she had a chronic illness and she and quilting saved her emotional health and has gotten her through so much and has provided her with so much. And Joe, you have a similar story of you um, started to participate in quilting. Thanks, and now, Denise. And yes, exactly. And um, now you are using that quilting experience uh, that Denise gave you to give it back to other mm, people. And mm -hmm. it's given you so much. That is wonderful, but it does not give you or her the right to decide how we're going to view quilting and therefore how those creative pieces need to be used, even though it's given you so much. So I, I understand that she is so passionate about it because she's poured herself into her quilts and therefore she thinks people who have come before must have poured themselves into their creations and it's a desecration to then cut up what was therapeutic for them, what was, what was so valuable to them. Um, so I could see her outrage, but which I think she, but what I think she's lacking is being able to step back and see that people use the creative process for all kinds of reasons. Yes. We talk all the time about how it's the process, not the product. And so what was healing to her, what is inspiring to me, what we try to share with others is the benefits of the process. And I think that's why it would, I don't really give two flips what someone does with something I make for them later because I, it was the, I got what I needed from it through the process and mm -hmm. through the giving of that thing to them. And so just to use this quilting as a, to continue the conversation someone else taking those quilts and turning them into clothes, they are getting to go through the process again. So if it's not even about the product having new life or new purpose, the person going through the creative process is reaping the benefits of being creative. And it just, it just continues the cycle. Um, that holds the value. It's the process that holds the value mm -hmm. to me. And that only that exists somewhat in a vacuum, like that value that I get from the process exists for me in that time. And the product is a byproduct of the process, mm -hmm. but the value of the process is not held within the product. Does that make sense? Yes. Again, you, the person are the one who's giving mm -hmm the thing, its value. Mm -hmm. And then when someone receives that gift, like Denise giving a baby quilt, their value comes from someone has cared about me enough to pour time and effort into this thing that they've made me and then that person is giving it value. The quilt itself does not. Like if you, if that quilt showed up in a thrift shop somewhere um, and no one had any context for where it came from, it's, it's just a quilt. Mm -hmm. It's not anything special. It's the human relationship. Um, but the funny thing about any like a quilt or or anything that's really handmade where a person is really close to it is that we can confuse that product with the person. I will say I used to care nothing about old quilts because quilting isn't really my aesthetic, even though it's, it's like I what like you doing do. it. <laughs> but now when I see old quilts, I do think about the person who made it. But I think back to Denise's point of context, it is because I understand what went into it. 
And I do kind of like, I think creativity creates a legacy in that way, right? Like a, a connecting thread uh, bet- among <laughs> generations and between strangers. I don't know who made that quilt, but I can still be like someone did. And I value like the time and that they put to it. But I don't think I would hesitate if um, I wanted a quilt coat and I saw a good, beautiful quilt. Not going to lie. I I was slightly tempted when this all came around to have a quilt coat. Yeah. Because Grandma Chic is my aesthetic 100%. I think I would also be more inclined to make it from fabric that I liked, though. I'd be like making a new quilt to make into a quilt coat. Yes. One thing maybe um, wasn't on our loose agenda to talk about was how subjective um, art and craft is. Mm. So like whether you like it or not. Um, So one thing that Mary Fawns talked about was like making collars with ruffles on them and then like pants and then, you know, where does it stop? Right. So like Madison, I think you can get away with grandma chic. I just look like a grandma when I went and so I'm like no that's not I I can't do that um but that's confident kind of thing too so subjectively I'm not gonna wear quilt pants and and I don't think subjectively that quilt collars are cute at all in any way whatsoever I mean a quilt coat yeah that's cool people would talk about it Mm -hmm. um you know, you could have conversations. Oh my, whoever made this or you could have some, conversations uh, from a quilt collar too. You can, I don't know that I want to um, interact Engage with someone that's wearing a quilt collar. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that people would go, okay, that's weird, but whatever. But again, subjective. Um, like you were saying, Joe, like make a quilt, a new quilt and then turn it into a coat. My, my opinion is, yeah, but you took all that time to make that quilt and then you're just going to cut it up. I just want to be like, just use the quilt. Right, but quilt. but you love quilts. But if yes. I am from the front end saying I want a quilt coat, then I'm not spending all the time to make a quilt just to cut it up. I'm spending all the time to make a quilt to make a quilt coat. Yes. Do you see what I'm yeah. saying? Yes. Yeah. Also, I, I from a... T- Technical perspective, I think making a quilt to make a quilt coat actually might be better because if anyone who's actually worked with a quilt, like it's a lot of layers of stuff to then try and sew through. Um, My family commissioned me to actually cut up one of my great grandmother's quilts that was on my, uh, it was on my mom's childhood bed. It was butterflies. And my sister wanted a teddy bear made out of it. Yeah. And it was hard for me to sit there and look at this hand basted quilt and cut it up into a teddy bear. But my family is still using it. It was threadbare to begin with. Mm-hmm. I picked out the best squares. So like the yeah. pieces that were useful are still continuing to be used, but I I understand the reservations of of doing all of that. Another maybe pro <laughs> to cutting things up, repurposing mm-hmm. things is the exposure that it gives to people that wouldn't otherwise engage with that particular thing. So let's go back to the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a lot of kids in your homeschool class who maybe have stuff. no interest in comic books, but then they're going to like get to look at them, cut them up, like kind of reimagine them with themselves part of the process and maybe that 
opens up an interest in comic books to them, or it's at least exposing them to something they wouldn't have been exposed to before. I think a lot of people don't appreciate the aesthetic of old quilts, but if you, cause maybe it doesn't go with their decor. Like they don't want a quilt on their bed. Mm -hmm. However, a teddy bear made out of a quilt or even taking one quilt and splitting it up, you get a teddy bear and you like, everyone mm -hmm. has a teddy bear made from the quilt. That is something that then is multiplying the impact of your great grandmother's quilt, you know? Yeah. And it yeah. is taking something that maybe people wouldn't have any interest in and bringing them into the enjoyment of it. Yeah. Well, and I think about my antique clothing uh, obsession. I want other people to experience the joys of looking at clothing that is old and can be reused. We have a we have a really bad problem with wasting mm -hmm. our clothes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think you know, quilting, refashioning things at a thrift store, you know, all of these things give it new life and it could help people to see that there is value in things that they already have. Um, maybe they go and get a quilt and they realize that, you know, the quilt that they have up in their closet does actually have value, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I, I like using that, that maybe this exposes people and gets people hooked and interested on these arts that are kind of dying out. And you can't force people to be interested in your passion. Like I can't say quit cutting up the quilts, value them for what they are, have interest in them for what they are and their place in history. People don't care. People don't have room in their houses for that nonsense. No, or like just their brain. Like they're, <laughs> there's not enough days or hours or whatever years to care about everything that exists yeah unfortunately <laughs> i mean honestly if you just take a stroll through etsy right now there's tons of like jewelry and weirdly fashioned items out of things that were old that still could be used but now they're turned into like oddities and jewelry and things and sometimes i'm like was that really necessary right. which i think <laughs> Which I think is like the big, probably the biggest hang up I still have about this is when you're taking a material that was perfectly good and you're turning it into something that's less useful. Which is what Denise was saying about the quilt collars or like yeah. quilt pants. <laughs> right. I yeah. mean, if they're old quilts, how, how good is their structural integrity? It is not great. I would not trust those as pants. I mean, the chub rub no. for sure would wear away the crotch of those. Or uh, yeah, you'd split a seam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be good yeah. embarrassing. this did make me think of because I've been listening to the last Harry Potter book mm -hmm. and um, you know it's all about the sort of Gryffindor which was made by goblins and then the Weasleys have like a tiara that was made by goblins and it comes up that goblins um, when they would make something for a wizard they saw it as like the wizard was paying to rent it, not to buy it. Like ownership always stayed with the goblin that made it. Yes. And so that's why like with the sort of Gryffindor, the goblins feel like the wizard stole it from them because they, they never got it back it down. Yeah. To other and so they didn't, um, they didn't see like their creations as something that could be inherited. It was meant to go back to the goblins. And that actually makes this conversation really easy. How so? Because it goes back to the creator and they get to decide 
what to do next with it. Like it, or it goes to the creator's descendants because obviously yeah. the you know in the story those uh, goblins don't exist anymore. Yeah, but um, but that's not the real nature of the way things are. You know, I've yeah. seen stuff like this in regards to tattoos um, because like what if you? I've seen people ask tattoo artists, "How do you feel when someone covers up your work?" Like you give someone a tattoo and then you find out that they get it covered up and the artists say, I mean, that tattoo belongs to them. Like it's mine until I put it on their skin and then it's them, it's their skin. So if they're going to cover it up, that's up to them, you know? And I think that, um, that's a, a healthy way for us now to approach the creative process of I'm going through the process because it's good for me and I created work. And not all my work is good either, you know? Like sometimes maybe a tattoo artist did mess up a tattoo and it needs to be fixed. Or I've even, some of the artists that were being interviewed said, I've covered up my own work. Like it's not serving that person anymore and I want to continue creating work for them that does. And you're being paid for your time. So mm -hmm. like you you do the job and you, you do the next job that comes in, you know? Mm. As a creator... And we've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, when you allow your work to be out there in the world and to the public, you don't really own it anymore. We no. talked about this in Death of the Author. And um, like when we talked about being vulnerable. Yes. Uh, especially when you are doing something like a song or um, or a movie or something. <laughs> so where open to interpretation. Yeah. Things like that. It, you don't own it anymore. And so part of you like when you give it when you give away your creation to someone else it's not yours to hold on to mm -hmm. so we got to we got to let it go <laughs> we have to cut off some of those strings that we are attached to our our creations and realize that our creations are not us they may be a reflection of us that we there may be pieces of us poured into that thing but it is not us that quilt is not your great grandmother you are not cutting her up when you cut up her quilt Right. Um, are you going to let it go when you see a piece of furniture that's really beautiful, but that's painted? Uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Like each time that I go into a nice little flea market, I'm like, you know, that's someone's aesthetic. I will go and find, you know, another piece. And it's potentially also someone else's livelihood. Like it's true. Flipping furniture is what primarily women are making money doing. Yeah. Well, and there's people out there who are selling these quilt coats and quilt bags mm -hmm. and all of that. And they are, you know, that's, that's their deal. And that's cool. It will not be me because for me, I would have issues with that, but I have, I have the freedom of choice to say that I don't want to do that. I want to make something new or I want to use other materials. Yeah. I'm going to cut up them comic books. That's right. <laughs> Just like, I mean, a vegan can choose to eat how they want. And then someone who likes all the meat eats all the meat. And mm. yeah, we just have to figure out how to live with each other mm -hmm. when we don't agree on these things. And to be responsible. So like someone who likes to eat all the meat can still choose to be responsible in their meat eating endeavors. Yeah. Although I still think that there will be parts of me that when I see someone, probably someone who's younger, who are who are tearing up perfectly good things to make what they think is cool and it's and I know it's not going to last mm -hmm. there's going to be little piece, pieces of me that are like really that's part that's of growing up though right it like, is cuz i can think of stuff that i did now i'm like i can't believe i did that yeah 
Yeah, I was trying to go through my head and think of something where I've destroyed. I'm sure my parents are like screaming at their rate at wherever they're listening right now and going, "You tore up all of this stuff." Oh, I used to felt old like sweaters uh-huh. and turn them into pin cushions, like tons of pin cushions. Why did I need that many? I didn't. You didn't. You needed the process, though. I sure did. I got so obsessed with so many different things. Don't you get to stab stuff over and over again when you felt? I mean, yeah. Part of it is that, but I would try to find like wool sweaters, like nice sweaters and then I would mm-hmm. felt them in the dryer I know I know like older me is like you could have saved that for someone who wanted to but you know what but they were not there learn. yeah it was my four dollars I could do what I wanted with it oh that's true um any last thoughts before we move into our tips I was any? gonna say due diligence um she talked some about appropriating culture, which I know that's a lightning rod word appropriation, but um, for instance, people who are turning perfectly good Navajo blankets into quilt coats, like Mm. that's an art. That's a dying art. You know, Mm -hmm. if something is a dying art, I feel like it's irresponsible maybe not to take a minute and get some opinions of other people who know what they're talking about in regard to that item whatever it is that you're going to do um or you're thinking of doing or like the g's bend um quilts by um african-american women and how some of if like those are rare as well what are they called g's bend it's a it's a i don't know where it is but it's like a village a town where g-e-e apostrophe s g's bend google it and um like those are not being made by anybody anymore. Mm. So it would be imperative, I think, to talk to some people and say, hey, uh, I found this at the Goodwill and it might be important because I think that could be preserved. It, you know, it's right. not every quilt in the world that needs preserved, right. but some of them kind of need to be preserved. Well, I think that leads yeah. us into maybe our kind of the so what how does this affect Mm -hmm. us part so yeah I think talking about what is our responsibility then as creatives and consumers how do we personally balance um preserving history with responsibly repurposing things so that was a great first point is to do your due diligence, do some research. Like now with Google image search, you can take a picture of something that you see and search it and see if it has value. I think it's impractical to think everyone will know the value of everything. Yes, that's true. Denise, I really like this tip um, because what I wrote down for mine is um, the things that we do want to keep intact are things that are useful for learning. As a teacher, it's important that we have these primary sources mm. to show people, hey, this is what people actually did and you know, allow us to further enrich generations and potentially give them some inspiration for the creative things they're going to do next. Um, so yeah, taking a minute to just like, open up the drawer of that cabinet to look inside that piece of clothing to really look at that quilt and go, hmm, was this machine made or was it handmade? Does it have a certain marker on it that I need to go and look up? Is this going to be important to, you know, to keep? Or is this a a polyester quilt from the 70s that can like, you know, be turned into whatever I want it to? Um, Which I know seems hard when you're in that creative mode. You're like, I just want to get what's available and start working. Um, 
but especially when you're using materials that are hard to come by or that are um, just that you can't just get off a shelf at Hobby Lobby. Maybe and usually a, a good indicator of that is if I go to eBay or if I go to Etsy and search for this item, what is it selling for? For example, if you go to either of those places and look for Amish Butterprint Vintage Pyrex, they are expensive. It's one of the more expensive patterns. Maybe you don't turn that one into a light fixture. <laughs> but if you can go to eBay or Etsy and search... 2000s comic books to cut up in class mm -hmm. and you can get them for 75 cents a piece. Maybe that's a good indicator that there is a superfluous amount of them. Yes. And so those would be, that would be a good choice to yeah. cut up for. Um, this makes me think of, um, I was gifted some lovely Ankara wax print fabric and I really wanted to turn it into something. And but before I did, I was like, is it going, am I going to run into any issues as a white woman mm. wearing what is considered a traditionally African fabric? So I went ahead before I cut into it. I did some research on the history of it. I asked some people who I felt were knowledgeable about this, about how they felt about it before I went forward um, with my crafting process. Mm -hmm. So if you're unsure, if you're like, hmm, would this cause problems if I significantly altered this just ask somebody well and that's the first step right is even being aware that it could that there it could be there could be a right way and a wrong way to handle yeah something. surprise the stuff that's in the bric-a-brac section of goodwill could be having some hidden gems yeah. um my first tip it's similar to what we've been talking about is to consider is there someone that would appreciate this item in its current state, whether mm -hmm. that is a piece of furniture that there's nothing wrong with it. I just want it to be a different color. Mm -hmm. um, is it a quilt that is not falling apart that like somehow is still intact? Um, you know, finding places to pass that on, mm -hmm. like, especially if it's something you're going to get rid of anyway, like maybe contact a local quilt guild and say, I have this quilt that's in great condition. Do you know where, where I could responsibly yes. pass it on. So that's how that's how I got a hold of a fox fur. Mm. Someone at church um. saw all of the all the crazy things I wear, and they're like, "I will never wear this fox fur that has a head and feet has has head and feet on Ooh. it." Mm. Yeah, they're like, "Will you wear it?" I said, "Hundred percent, I will." So that is a fox fur that is not in a landfill, and uh, I get to wear its dead glassy eyes to church. <laughs> it's great. Hallelujah. Yep. <laughs> Oh my okay, any more tips? Um, Denise, do you have any anything? Well, I'll follow oh. up to, to mine. Like, would yeah. someone appreciate this in its original form? The follow-up question to, to that would be, is there an item that I could use instead? So let's say it's going to be, I want to paint a piece of furniture. Well, is there an item that I could use that does not hold value because it's well-made and old mm -hmm. um, that I could paint instead. And I could end up with the same look without costing someone else the look of something in its original form. You gave me this advice like six months ago. Cause so I was so smart. I was looking what? for a couch to recover. And I said, Joe, look at this one. And Joe was like, do you see how the fabric is still really nice? It was a beautiful, like mm. textured velvet, but it wasn't going to go with my vibe. And, 
Joe was like, no, 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 don't buy that one. Go buy something that has a similar look that's cheaper and then recover that one because you're going to get more bang for your buck. Right. And someone else will get to enjoy that couch in its original state. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the Habitat Restore and buy a couch that has the same bones but is coming apart. Yes. For $25. Exactly. Yeah. So our advice could save you money. All right. Also, (laughs) you can get something at Ikea. You could get a piece of furniture at Ikea that looks very mid-century mod and paint it. That's true. Without having to paint a Kent Coffee Perspecta credenza that's like $1,000. In fact, if you have one of those, sell it for $1,000. Yeah. I don't know half of those words that you just said, but they sounded really expensive. Yeah. That's beautiful. (laughs) I have one. It was for Christmas. Oh, it was your Christmas? Yeah. I love that. Um, I would say, um, you do you, boo. Like, if you want to wear those quilt pants, you just wear those quilt pants. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Um, be confident in what you choose to do. And if you like it, do that. Like, it, if you're shopping for something, like antique, whatever, and you see something, you think, I can't live without that, buy it. And then, I mean, responsibly, like, yeah. don't go into debt and stuff. But, um, <laughs> like... We're all about responsible spending here at McDo. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, it's okay. And don't, what anybody's opinion about it is, that's their opinion. Especially if you're following these other tips we've laid out, right? If you're like Denisa, doing your due diligence. If you're um, reaching out and getting, not if you are being an informed consumer, then go on. I would... Do you have another one? I do. Oh, go for it. Um, wow, it just like hopped out of my head when you looked at me. Hang on. I'll look. Okay. Um, have respect for your time and effort that you're putting into said thing. If you see something on Instagram and you love it and you want to repurpose something, make sure that it's not just a trend that you just want to have for a season. Remember that you are putting time and effort into something. And you may really think that you want that quilt coat, but it is... I would say it's not respectful of your time or the person who made the quilt if you make the coat and then you only wear it for a week and then you're done with it. That was my last one too, is be careful that you're not just chasing trends. And part of that comes down to knowing yourself, right? And um, that takes time and it is a worthwhile endeavor because it grounds you in who you are. And so back to Denise saying, do you, you know, do what you like, but to do that, you have to know what you like. And Mm -hmm. so are you, do you want a quilt coat? Because that's what everyone on Instagram that you follow is doing. And it seems trendy. Or do you really like it? Like I love mid-century modern. I didn't know that until I started like doing my own house. And now I kind of am like, am I going overboard? I don't care. I like it. And so um, that's me. It's not like I'm not doing it just because it's trendy. So just be sure, quit chasing trends and spend that time figuring out what you like. Now, sometimes that means you have to try trends on. And I'll be brutally honest here. A lot of the things that we DIY for ourselves, for our houses, they look like they're DIY'd. Yeah. Um, (laughs) if that is not your vibe, if you don't want that in your house, don't DIY things. Like if you don't want a Pyrex pendant light or a, or like 
if you're looking for something a mushroom more pr- bowl or a mushroom bowl, more kudos to the person who made that. I love mushrooms, but like that's where. Hey, do you know what we're talking about? Where someone takes like a candlestick or something, and then an oh. old bowl, and turns yeah. it upside down and glues it on, and so then it looks like a mushroom. Yeah, that's cool and all, but yeah, know yourself enough to be like, if DIY is not your thing, don't bother. Just don't. Yeah. All right. Well, we are. We are past an hour, but <laughs> this always want, happens when we have fun yeah, people on the podcast. Blue. And this was like a, um, I don't know, maybe a topic people haven't thought about before, but obviously we had opinions and um, on both sides of the fence, like yes. times when we're like, yeah, do that. And times when we're like, don't you dare put a paintbrush to that furniture. So, yeah. um, but if people want to stop listening, they can, but I think we should still do sweet and sour. I agree. Denise, do you want to go first as our guest? What's your sweet this week? Um, Okay, well, mine's like a combination sweet and sour, kind of a bittersweet, but good. Oh, Can we throw some salt in there, too? Because that's my favorite sweet and salty. Oh, let's see. (laughs) I could be salty about it, but I I don't know. (laughs) You do Um, you, boo. Thank you. So uh, we buried a friend last week, but... Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the sour and the bitter part of it. Um, but the sweet part of it is seeing our kids there, our half-grown children, like who are out on their own. And when your son, there's something about when your son prays and you go, I'm really proud of mm. him and his the tenderness that he still has and the relationship he has with God. And um, that just makes a mama's heart go pitter-patter a little bit. So. It was a it was a double edged sword. Yeah. Situation. But yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Oh, wow. You go, what's your sweet? Um, all right, I gotta open it back up because that was that was very sweet. Um <laughs> Are you for clamped? I mean it's got <laughs> Yeah, I know. Okay. Um so my sweet is not as cool, which is okay. My anime con is this weekend. I will be getting to wear my costume with wings. So, um, yeah, I'm will very you excited. Will you do, like, Insta stories and stuff from I'll see there? if I can. Okay. I'm going to be going with a group. I don't know how they feel about being on Instagram, but um, I'll see if I can do some Insta stories yeah. of, of the you deal. Do, yeah. By the time this comes out, it already will have happened. So Yes. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll give us a, a picture or something to post about it. My sweet is in response to my sour last week where I was... Um, complaining a lot about my hair falling out. I don't think that that part is over, but I have had good hair days this week. So that's my sweet. Your hair is responding to you. Mm -hmm. I just needed to like give it, I need to quit hating it and I needed to love it. So Uh, what's your sour? Let's see. My sour, oh, okay. So we spent like several hours trying to make fabric decisions. Making decisions That's your sour? Picking fabric? Well, no, like it just takes so long. There's so many good fabrics. It's like we can't, we Mm. have to cut we have to cut some. Like, we have to get rid oh, of it. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard. That's funny because I was going to say my sour is that I have not gotten a single thing done on my to-do list. Well, that's not true. I did get my W-2s and all of that mailed to the Social Security Administration before yes. the deadline. There you go. <laughs> that yeah. was January 31st. That's the only thing I've gotten knocked off my list because I uh, distracted us with looking at new fabric. <laughs> Which... Some of that is fun, but having to get rid of some of the cute fabric is really hard. Well, then you won't like to know that when we stop recording, I do have um, additional fabrics that I found. <laughs> we have to do it again. That we have to do it again. Oh, um, Madison, did you get your car? Sorry. I mean. Oh, yes, I did. I do have it. It's wonderful. Um, 
I've been telling people that it feels like I am an out of touch person trying to learn an iPhone because the car I drove was a 2005. So it had like basically no computer in it. And now there's like, like cameras everywhere. And like the car can basically drive itself and take my calls and also like keep my booty warm while I'm doing all of this. (laughs) And I'm just like, I have to figure out how all of this works. I wish we could send your car to Hobby Lobby to like... I to do stuff on, on their errands. Errands. yeah. Like it's like a transformer. Uh, yeah. It can like grow legs and like walk yeah. in. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. So I do have my car. Thank you for asking. Um, so maybe I'll maybe I'll throw my wings in the back, and that's what we'll ride all the way to AnimeCon. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, Ooh. it'd be cool if you could attach the wings to the outside, and it so wouldn't like ruin them, so that it would flat. look like it was flying. <laughs> yes. Uh. It's really interesting. I'm using like stuff you put underneath laminate as the feathers for the wings. It's real cool. Stuff you put underneath laminate. It's called under under oh, like laminate. Under, under laminate flooring. Yes. Yeah. It's called under is laminate. It, That's what I'm using. Mm-hmm. Like blue. Is it bright blue? Um, no, this one actually comes in white. So I can okay. like spray paint it different colors. And it's very nice. lightweight. Yeah. So I've got a wig. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, cool. Well, we better see Instagram. All right. Yep. I'll make an we'll effort. save it to a highlight so that people who are listening to this now can go back and see it if they missed it. Hmm. I don't have a song on my mind, but I'll make one up as I go. It's a process, y'all. You can do what you want with the song when I'm done. So have a good day. Yay, yay, yay. Nice job. That's how we do it. (laughs) Denise, thank you for being here all the way from Fayetteville. It's my pleasure. Virtually. It's my pleasure. All right. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you to my dear, dear friend Craig Hudson for our very createful theme music. You can hear more of Craig's music on Spotify under Craig Hudson. That's Hudson with a T. Or you can just uh, click on the link in the show notes. Also, be sure to connect with Make Do on Instagram at Make Do Create or on Facebook at Make Do Circe. And visit our website, makedocreate.org, for upcoming classes, show notes, to order a face mask, lots of things. We'll be back here with another episode next Monday. Have a good week, y'all.